0: Okay, you may be seated. So you are probably in... We are in a rare company here tonight. Um, first of all, we're, we still meet on Sunday nights to, to study God's Word uh, together uh, within this church. And a rarer company yet to be studying Exodus. And maybe the rarest company to get past Exodus 20. Um, because not not very often do people cover, um, talk about, study Exodus after chapter 20, and especially where we are tonight in, in uh, Exodus 25. So Exodus 25 begins a new section in Exodus. Um, you know, we've had the time when Israel came out of Egypt, the time at Mount Sinai, and so uh, exodus twenty five, there are forty chapters in Exodus, so there are sixteen left after the or counting tonight, sixteen left. Thirteen of those sixteen deal with the tabernacle. So you can see why many uh, people abandon Exodus after that point. Uh, we are going to keep moving through Exodus. We'll try to do about a chapter per week, which as you can see on the board, that's a lot tonight, right? So Exodus 25, verses 1 through 40. And before we we start with Exodus 25, we'll do what we always do and have a uh, quick review. So uh, beginning in Exodus 20, uh, there God was giving his covenant to the people of Israel. And so in Exodus 24, what we covered a couple of weeks ago um, was the confirmation of that covenant. Uh, And if you remember, there is a ceremony at this time where where the the provisions of the covenant are laid out and, and then the people answer all that the Lord says we will do. And then there's a sacrifice, if you remember, and the blood of the covenant is spread on the people, splashed on the people. And then there is a covenant meal. So these would be typical things with a covenant, other than probably splashing blood on the people. But at that covenant meal, that part of it, the elders of Israel see God. That's what it says in the text. They saw the God of Israel. Not much of a description there of what, what they saw, um, but as they ate that meal or before they ate that meal, that's what they saw, the 70 elders of Israel. And so after that, we read this. Uh, then Moses went up on the mountain. So this is at Mount Sinai. Uh, after getting the, the Ten Commandments in the Book of the Covenant, uh, after being partway up that mountain, probably with the elders Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. And the glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now, the appearance of the glory of Yahweh, or the Lord, was like a devouring fire or consuming fire, some translations put it, on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. So when God is at Sinai, to the people, this is what they experience. When God is with them at Mount Sinai, this is how they see him. The glory of Yahweh was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain. In the sight of the people. And Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. So that's where we're going to start today. The next verse is where we start, 25, verse 1. So Moses is up on the mountain. And he will remain up on the mountain for the next seven and a half chapters. So that gets us into the middle of Exodus 32, and most of that, six and a half of those seven chapters will be instructions on how to build the tabernacle and, and the things that go with the tabernacle. So that's what we are tonight, So and you can see um, why it might be. Um, long detailed instructions on how to build the things with the tabernacle, and then a three chapter kind of a three chapter break, and then that, and then the, finish, the rest of Exodus is on the actual instructions that Moses brings down and how they would construct the, the tabernacle. So a lot of it, thirteen chapters out of the sixteen, will be about the tabernacle. So most everything that's in the next six and a half chapters is also in the last five chapters or so of Exodus. So if there's something here that we don't talk about to the, tonight that you wanted to talk about, we might get it on the second time through. So uh, Exodus um, 25, if you have an, an ESV Bible, which you know most of us have one, uh, but not everybody, it breaks it down into uh, four sections, they are these, Contributions for the Sanctuary, the Ark of the Covenant, the Table for Bread, and the Golden lampstand. and those are good breaks. Um, probably, if, if you have a Bible that breaks this chapter up, it probably follows that pretty closely. Some might add another break. But the recognized key verse of this whole chapter is verse 2. 8, which says this, and let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell in their midst. And so we're going to have a couple of main points here tonight, a couple of main ideas, both of them from, well, one from this point, from this verse, and also if we add verse 9 to it, um, the other point will be there. Um, exactly as i show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture so you shall make it so we'll get our two main main points from that which we'll talk about in just just a minute so the first question is what is the tabernacle well a tabernacle is a portable sanctuary so in, ver- in verse Eight, we see that let them make me a sanctuary and in verse 9 that they're supposed to make the sanctuary exactly um, according to the pattern of the tabernacle. So they're the same thing here. The sanctuary and the tabernacle are the same thing. So this was not uncommon uh, in these times in this part of the world for nomadic people to have tabernacles. A place of worship um, and so when, when, when Moses hears the Lord tell him, make for me a tabernacle, he probably already has in mind what that might be or what that, the function of that would be. So um, I'm going to read something from this commentary that I uh, recently got. Um, it is from a guy named uh, Nahum Sarna and just a couple of couple of sentences here that he says about why we are to why the tabernacle was necessary so with the conclusion of the revelation at Sinai in other words god had completed what he intended to communicate at Sinai preparations are made for the spiritual welfare of the people during their trek through the wilderness on the way to the promised land. This requires the construction of a central mobile sanctuary to serve as a symbol of God's continued presence in the midst of Israel to accommodate the organized practice of Religion, so we're going to talk about those points. Um, when we get to uh, verses eight and nine, we're going to go through those 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 points. but a portable sanctuary, um, Sarna mentions. Uh, and so and he gives the reason for constructing that is that it's to serve as a symbol of God's continuing presence with them. And then secondly, to accommodate the organized practice of religion. So we'll talk more about those things when we get there. Um, The tabernacle serves as a symbol of God's continued presence and to accommodate the organized practice of religion. So the first part, then, that we talked about, this first section um, in Exodus, you can probably guess we have to move through these fairly quickly. Uh, these, are, these four are roughly 10 verses apiece, not exactly, uh, but, but pretty, pretty evenly broken up. So we'll, we'll talk about the contributions for the sanctuary. So Exodus 25, verse 1, if you have your Bibles. And the Lord said to Moses, so remember this is during the 40 days, uh, so this is going to be lo- God's longest speech, longest communication in Exodus. It goes, the, the first section here where it says, covered by the Lord said to Moses, or Yahweh said to Moses, goes from the next verse, 25 verses to, verse 2, all the way to 30 verse 10. So one really, really long section that God speaks to Moses about construction of the tabernacle, and then there will be another series of about six more of those, not about six, but six more that will take us uh, into the middle of the next chapter, chapter 31. So these are mostly instructions about the tabernacle, how to construct the tabernacle and its furnishings. Speak to the people of Israel. That they may take for me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. So you can see, this is a free will offering. Uh, it's not a tithe, and it's not a, a a fee imposed upon the people that they all have to pay the same amount. Which which those things happen uh, in the Old Testament. But it is something different. It is a free will offering. And God has something very specific in mind when he says a contribution. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them. So here's what it is. So God is very specific about this. The word contribution here is... Means something that is set about by a person for and dedicated for sacred use. So something that a person sets aside, dedicates it to God for sacred, sacred use. And here is this is the contribution that you shall receive from them, gold. And silver and bronze, and so we probably all recognize those as, as valuable things, right? The most valuable coming first: gold and then silver and then bronze, which is a combination of, of, of copper and tin, but it's a good good building material, good solid building material. Gold, silver and bronze. Blue and purple. And scarlet yarns, so everybody recognizes that these are symbols of royalty, these are symbols of wealth, these are symbols of uh, noble use, um, so that's, that's not an, an original thought that is very common, these, these, this section has been studied extensively, although it's not common today. So it's expensive cloth. These things are very expensive. And just so you can get a feel for that. Oh, and by the way, they are also in, in the order of which ones are most valuable first. Which, which was most valuable first, first. So blue and purple dyes, the blue and purple dyes were, um, were very specifically taken from a kind of snail that is found in the Red Sea. And it would take thousands of snails to dye one robe. So you can imagine that they were very, very expensive. And the scarlet dye comes from a specific kind of insect that they would take out of the trees. And I have no idea how many insects it takes to make scarlet yarn for a robe. But where would the people get this? Where would the people get the gold and the silver and the bronze and the purple and the blue and the scarlet yarns? They've been out of Egypt about a year, and they are slaves. A year ago, they were slaves. And since then, they've been wandering around in the wilderness. So if you remember when they came out of Egypt, back in Exodus chapter 12, which was at least a half a year ago, um, as we study this, the people of Israel had also done as Moses told them. For they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. And thus they plundered the Egyptians. So that's where they got it. Um, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twisted linen and goat's hair. Tanned ram skins and goat skins. That's what it says in the ESV. Does anybody have anything besides the ESV here? If you've got a New American Standard or an NIV or a King James, you have something different there, right? Here, here's, here's what we have. Tanned ram skins... And goat skins. Now, if you have an ESV, it says goat skins here. If you have New American Standard, it says porpoise skins. Those are different. Um, if you have the King James, it says badger skins. Those are different, too. If you have the Jewish translation, the English translation of the, of the Old Testament, uh, their English translation, you have, you have dolphin skins. And if, if you could analyze the word, the, the word comes from a different language. It doesn't come from Hebrew, but it's closest to something that would be dolphin skins. So, where would they get dolphin skins? Probably the same place they would have gotten all the other things. Um, it's the same question commentators ask. How could it be dolphin skins? Because where would they get dolphin skins from? They're in the wilderness. Well, they, it probably, they have gold and silver. They have all kinds of cloth. There's, there's no reason to think that that couldn't have come from Egypt. And by the way, they use dolphin skins. There are dolphins in the Red Sea. and so, um, but, it, but it's not really sure. If you have NIV, they probably have the best, the best way to translate this. They translate it this way. Instead of goat skins or dolphin skins or badger skins, another type of durable leather. <laughs> because nobody really knows for sure what that, that is. And, and this other type of leather is only mentioned for one other thing, which makes me think that it was pretty soft. It, it was for women's sandals. Um, in Ezekiel, there's a reference to this kind of uh, skin. So tanned rams skins, goat skins are another kind of durable leather, Acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones for setting, for the aphod, and for the breast piece. So very specific purposes for these things. And the next six chapters are how these things are going to be used, uh, these contributions. And we get to uh, what I mentioned everybody recognized as the key Verse, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Now notice, pay attention what it doesn't say. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in it. Because we know that God does not dwell in temples, in houses built by human hands. So, back to uh, Sarna's quote again. This requires the construction of a central mobile sanctuary to serve as a symbol of God's continued presence in the midst of Israel, in the midst of them, to accommodate the organized practice of Religion. So the presence, God's continued presence. So it's good to have God with us. We've talked about that tonight as we've, we've prayed for things, that God has been with, it and, and with us. And God has clearly been with his people, Israel. He heard them when they were in Egypt. He came down to them after he remembered his covenant. He rescued them. He brought the plagues out and didn't lead, didn't touch Israel with most of those plagues. Brought them out of Egypt, had them cross the Red Sea, got water from a rock for them, had manna from heaven for them, defeated the Amalekites, the people that were raiding them. It's been good to have God on their side. So, here they are at Sinai. So what if they what if they just went out on their own now? What would happen to a group of slaves uh, without the presence of God with them um, as they went on their own? And, they, and what would happen if they decided to just, there were 12 tribes, right? What if they decided to break up in their tribes and, and go their own way and do their own thing, all of them? What would have happened to them? Well, we might say that, you know, well, God's everywhere, so God would be able to track them down. Well, that is true. God is everywhere, but God isn't everywhere in the same way. And that's the point that Sarna is making here. Just think about it. It says that God came down to rescue his people, right? God came down to, to the top of Mount Sinai a different thing than just saying god is everywhere and when he came down remember the mountain the top of the mountain was like a consuming fire smoke earthquake the whole thing god's presence was there so god's presence can also be frightening you know not only that that god is with us and so everything is wonderful but God is with us and he's when he comes with us when he brings his presence with us he brings who he is his holiness and that is a terrifying thing for us or it should be a terrifying thing for us with our sinfulness we are sinful people and so much so that the people of Israel when God speaks to them says don't let God speak to us again so that we won't die. Our sinfulness makes it so that, that we wouldn't want to see God. And so how is this God going to travel? How is his presence going to be with the people of Israel? Well, because going, his presence is going to be with the tabernacle, or the symbol of his presence there. So in this way, the tabernacle is a replacement for Mount Sinai. It's a replacement for where they've been, where God has just been with them. Remember that Mount Sinai is even called the mountain of God. So God's presence was on Sinai, but they were leaving Sinai. God was sending them off toward the promised land, and, and they didn't know it yet, but it was going to be about 39 more years before they got there. And so they are to go, and so this tabernacle was a replacement for what they experienced on Mount Sinai. So all of these things, God being with them, God presencing himself with them, God providing a tabernacle for them, point us to jesus and we read this We read this passage a couple of weeks ago, but just think about these. Words that, that John writes concerning Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And the Word became flesh. And here's the word: and tabernacled among us, pitched His tent among us, would be another way you can say that. And we saw His glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so look at that. Notice what Jesus, what this says about Jesus' presence when he comes with us. Full of grace and truth. God's presence in Jesus, full of grace and truth. So that's why he can say, you know, something better than the temple is here. Jesus can say that. Something better than the tabernacle is here. He lives in us and he lives among us as his people. So we're, we're all familiar with this passage, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, right? So we, we think of that as we've we got to protect our body, we've got to make sure that we take care of our body um, well when in in 1 Corinthians 6 when it says this this is this is, a, this is an appeal to holiness that we are to be holy people your temple is a is is a your body is a temple of the holy spirit so here's the context flee immorality every other sin that a man commits is outside the body but the immoral man sins against his own body, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. And we know that as a group we are also the temple of god and when when we gather together that god is in our midst. We'll move on to, to verse 9. So exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all its furniture, so you shall make it. So Bob Larson's sitting over here, so we were talking about about this section coming up in in Exodus and he just mentioned how just amazed at the detail here. That it, that is in these next few chapters on how that this th- these things are to be constructed. Well, God cares about his presence. God cares about the way we worship him. So back to Sarna's quote again. This requires the construction of a central mobile sanctuary to serve as the symbol of God's continued presence in the midst of Israel to accommodate the organized practice of religion. Well, when I read that quote, I thought of something right away. And this isn't it. Dr. Fauci retired. So that's not it. It's not quite it. But it's making the same point. Or Dr. Fauci was interviewed, and he's making the same point that, that... Uh, I thought of in another context right away. So that was referenced when I was listening to Albert Moeller the other day that Dr. Fauci was going to retire. And, And here's what he said in his interview. Fauci said in his interview. So Fauci was raised Catholic. In an interview, he said this. I'm less enamored with organized religion than I am with principles of humanity and goodness to mankind and to doing the best you can. I'm less enamored with organized religion. Now that's the point. That's the point that I thought of. Not in that context, but in a different context. And so why would he say that? Why would Fauci say that? Well, because he knows that hits home with us. right? He knows that that most people kind of feel that way. He knows that most evangelicals kind of feel that. I mean, you know, I could take it or leave it, the organized religion thing. We think that that's a a bad thing. So when I read the quote, here's the thing that I thought of. I have a friend who uh, is a believer. I would say he's a very bold believer. Um, Attended church faithfully, led Bible studies... Um, did all those kind of things that we would think of just a really outspoken believer and several years ago he said this to me I don't believe in organized religion anymore well at some point the Bible study took over for what he would have called organized religion being part of a church is what he meant being part of a church. And I know that my friend is not alone. I know that there are many other people out there like that. There's a whole movement. That wouldn't be a good way to say it. It's not a movement. There's a whole fixed monument of people that have this in their mind. Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. Last Sunday, watch what you hear. Right? Watch what you hear. That's what Pastor Randy, uh, as he translated his passage from uh, Mark last week, which would be just exactly right. So Christianity is a relationship. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ that we need but it is also a religion. Christianity is a religion, and it's an organized religion. And it is, God is in favor of organization. And so the church is that. The church is the way that God has organized this. It's in nature of, so, so we should want to be part of a church. Right? A church the way that God has established it. And here's, here's one of the things that, the New Testament says a lot of things about the church. Here's one. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. That's plural, so that's richly among you. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness to God in your hearts. In other words, tells us how that we are to worship teaching, admonishing, singing. That's why we do those things here, right? God tells us to do those things. There are, we don't have time to cover them them all, but suffice it to say that God wants us in his church. And Bible studies are great. I hope you're all part of them. But they do not substitute for church. And because you're here, you know that. So we'll move on to uh, the next thing. The Ark of the Covenant. So this is the first thing that God explains on how um, to make parts or part of the, the furnishings for the tabernacle. He doesn't start with the, the tabernacle itself. So this is the most important thing in the tabernacle. It's in the Holy of Holies. Uh, it is the focus. Uh, it is where the Ten Commandments are going to be, the, the covenant they shall make. This is verse ten. They shall make an ark of acacia wood, two cubits and a half a cubit shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. Height. Again, a cubit is probably about eighteen inches. You shall overlay it with pure gold, inside and outside. You shall overlay it, and you shall make it on it a molding of gold around it. You shall cast four rings of gold for it, and put them on its four feet, two rings on the one side of it, and two rings on the other side of it. And you shall make poles of acacia wood, and overlay them with gold, and you shall put the poles in the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark by them, because it's portable. The poles shall remain in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. To keep you from accidentally touching the ark with unholiness, your unholy body, so that those those poles never come out of of the ark, they remain there forever, so you don't touch it. And you shall put into the ark the testimony, that is the the testimony which is going to be um, the ten commandments on the stone tablets that I shall give you. And you shall make a mercy seat. Maybe we'll cover that the next time we're, we're on the ark. Of pure gold. Two and a half cubits shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its breadth. So this is what goes on top of the ark. And you shall make two cherubim, two angels, two um, supernatural beings of gold. Of hammered work you shall make them on the two ends of the mercy seat. You shall make one cherub on one end and one cherub on the other end. And of one piece with the mercy seat you shall make the cherubim on its two ends. And the cherubim shall spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings, their faces one to another, Toward the mercy seat shall be the faces of the cherubim. And you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. And in the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. And here's what he says to Moses. And there I will meet with you. From between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. So so where is this? So does Indiana Jones have this? Right? Um, is it in Ethiopia in the basement of a church building? Well, it doesn't matter, right? Because uh, Jeremiah tells us that it's not going to be important anymore. And also Jesus is the one that makes atonement for us, not this... Not this ark. The table for the bread. So this table, uh, so the the ark is in the Holy of Holies. Uh, Somebody asked me if we'd make a diagram. We'll do that when we get to the layout of the actual tabernacle. Um, But the Ark of the Covenant is in the Holy of Holies. The most holy place. The table for bread is in the next most holy place. It's in the holy place. So it's outside of the Holy of Holies. um, And here's what it says about that. You shall make a table of acacia wood, good solid wood. Two cubits shall be its length. It's a little bit smaller than the ark. A cubit its breadth and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold and make a molding of gold around it. And you shall make a rim around it, a hand "...breadth wide, and a molding of gold around the rim. And you shall make for it four rings of gold." Like with the ark. "...and fasten the rings to the four corners of its four legs. Close to the frame the rings shall lie as holders for the poles to carry the table. And you shall make poles of acacia wood, and overlay them with gold." Like the other ones. "...and the table shall be carried with these." But it doesn't say that they have to stay in them all the time. This is different from the Ark of the Covenant. And you shall make its plates and dishes for incense and its flagons and bowls with which to pour drink offerings. And you shall make them of pure gold. And you shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me regularly. So what does all that mean? So first of all, The bread of the presence, that gets changed out once every Sabbath. So on every Sabbath, there's new bread put out there and the priests are to eat that bread that's coming off and the rest of it stays on the table um, until the next time. So I think the best explanation I've, I've heard from this is that it symbolizes that covenant meal that they ate on Sinai. So remember I mentioned it after the covenant covenant ceremony the elders of israel go up partway on the mountain they see god and they eat a meal so this would be outside of the holy of holies they didn't get to go all the way into the cloud like moses did they had to stay back away so they were in a holy place Um, this is in a holy place but not but not not the most holy place so they ate a covenant meal up there. And this is, could be to remind the people of Israel and the priests of this covenant that they have with God, which is the point of the ark, the ark of the covenant. And the golden lampstand. So, so you've seen representations of this before. This is the menorah. Um, it's not sure exactly what it looks like, but, but you get a pretty good description. Um, so it's in the holy place, kind of opposite the table with the bread on it. And it's directed to have its light shine in front of it. You'll see that in a minute. So, um, so light is always seen as a good thing is, is scripture, in Scripture. And this is, has to be lit every night. So it is kept burning in the evenings. And you shall make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand shall be made of hammered work. Its base, its stem, its cups, its calyxes, and its flowers shall be of one piece with it. There shall be six branches going out of its sides, three branches of the lampstand out one side, and three branches of the lampstand out the other side of it, three cups made like almond blossoms, each with calyx and flower, and one branch in three cups made like almond blossoms, probably the shape, uh, each with calyx and flower on the other branch. So for the six branches going out of the lampstand. And on the lampstand itself there shall be four cups made like almond blossoms with their calyxes and their flowers, and a calyx of one piece with it under each pair of the six branches going out from the lampstand. And their calyxes and their branches shall be of one piece with it, the whole of it of a single piece of hammered work of pure gold. You shall make seven lamps for it. So that if you see a menorah um, representing this, there should be seven lamps on it. And the lamp shall be set up so as to give light on the space in front of it. And its tongs and their trays shall be of pure gold and it shall be made with all these utensils out of a talent of pure gold. So could you think you could make that <laughs> from that description? It, it might be hard to make that from, that from that description. But notice the detail there and then and then see what it says, What what God says to Moses in verse 40. And see that you make them after the pattern for them, which is being shown to you on the mountain. In other words, I'm going to, I'm going to show you the plans here. So if you didn't get the description here, are, this is what it looks like. So it says here in verse 39 that it was made from a the, the the lampstand, the menorah, and and the things that go with it are made from a talent of gold, pure gold. So. It's somewhere between 75 pounds and 100 pounds of pure gold. So it's heavy, right? And it goes in that same space with the table, the smaller space in the holy place by the bread of the table with the bread of the presence on it. So um, that, that is what we have in chapter... 25 started with the contributions for the sanctuary and the Ark of the Covenant, the bread, the table for the bread, and the golden lampstand. And so remember that the reason that these things were made like this was as a symbol of God's presence with Israel. And all the detail, like Bob mentioned, and, and all the detail that we read and all the fine materials that we saw are also to accommodate the practice of organized religion or the organized practice of religion. So, so God cares about that. And so in the New Testament, we're part of a church. And if you go through if you go through a scripture, you're going to find out a lot of things about why we are all to be in a church. First of all, the local church is, you know, it's, it's a part of the universal church. So the local church is here for a number of reasons. One, it's right worship, right? It's a clear presentation of the gospel. That, those are things that make a church, the church is also the guardian of truth. So, so we might go to Bible studies and, and things like that, but the church is the responsible one for the guardian of truth. It's the reason, the reason it is to be that way is so that we as believers don't get tossed around by all different kinds of, of doctrines, teachings of men. Or if you prefer another metaphor... So that we don't get eaten by the wolves. Because the false teachers are like wolves out there. And as it says in one of the nine marks of a healthy church books. It's the nature of sheep, which we're called, to stray. It's the nature of wolves to eat. right? And so if we are out straying around. Just think about the people of Israel. If they leave the presence of of God if they leave their community of believers what happens to them they get destroyed right so we as believers are to do that and and on the positive side we all everybody here has been entrusted with gifts spiritual gifts that are the benefit of each other right i have them you have them we all have gifts that are for the benefit of each other to build up the church The church is to be built up so that we can all serve, so that we can all serve our neighbors, so that we can all be witnesses for Jesus Christ. And so this is the place that God has established, the organized religion that is so looked down on, organized religion that, that we are to be a part of. And we should be proud of being a part of that because that means that we are part of the family of God. We are part of the way God intended us to worship and to communi- commune with each other and to commune with him as part of a fellowship of believers. So let's close in prayer and then we'll have our, our final hymn. Father, we thank you for... Uh, your word here in Exodus, again, so long ago written, probably 3,500 years ago or so, written. Still relevant for us today. Still teaching us today. And we pray that, that your word would take root in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds, that we would be shaped by it. That we would submit to it that we would submit to you um, and your desire for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.